My name is Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with talented and interesting individuals linked to the global Indian and South Asian community. It's informal and informative, adding insights to our evolving cultural expressions, where each person can proudly say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Hi, everyone. On this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, we share a conversation with the founder of Crossover Basketball and Scholars Academy, Sean Jayachandran. Stay tuned. So I truly appreciate activities that generate great connectivity through a common language. Mathematics, dance, and music are all good examples. So is basketball. Now, I never could claim a decent game myself, but I do truly love playing and studying this great sport and the great combination of individual skills and team-based excellence. And speaking of excellent, thank you all for listening to this and sharing it with your friends and family, for rating, downloading, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, and for following along on social media at Dr. Abhayadarndega. So while good defense, a decent shot, and good instinct can fuel anyone's basketball mojo, if you ask a lot of elite successful players, the non-athletic skills that build leadership, character, teamwork, and communication are all ingredients for success both on and off the court. Which begs the question that if basketball can be the connective tissue to make everyone equal on the court and build personal and team success, can it boldly serve as a vehicle for social change and justice? Now helping to prove this point is Sean Jayachandran, the founder of Crossover Basketball and Scholars Academy a nonprofit focused on increasing gender equity and education rates in India for underserved, marginalized communities by using basketball as the vehicle for change. Sean was born and raised in Calgary, that's Alberta, Canada, thank you very much, and then immigrated to the US when he was in high school. His parents were models of resilience and helped Sean frame his vision through his personal values and athletics. He founded Crossover 12 years ago as a byproduct of his own love of basketball and his passion for education and coaching. A part of the legendary John Wooden's coaching tree, Sean has built an extraordinary program with Crossover to prime hundreds of children in Chennai and Delhi for sustained education and life skills through athletics, improved gender equity, and accelerated mobility out of poverty. He's also built partnerships with students, thought leaders, athletes, and celebrities who serve as volunteers. And he's collaborated with Slam Magazine and the WNBA Players Association as endorsement partners. But maybe the most important, long-lasting, and engaging impact has been with the Indian children, parents, teachers, and communities that he's worked with. We had a chance to catch up recently and chat about his experiences, but I first wanted to know if being a parent himself has at all changed his lens in leading Crossover. That's a great question. Um... When I started Crossover, I wasn't yet a parent uh, when I came up with the concept. And I think it's, it's helped evolve it. I think when you're, when you're doing this work, your mission and your North Star are super important and like why we're doing it and what's your actual outcome. And so when you keep those pieces in mind, it helps to frame it. It helps, I think it helps me reflect back doing that work into parenting. So they work both ways in that yeah. regard where yeah. i'm witnessing how kids in real time are interacting and seeing role models and finding their voice and at the same time saying okay here's who the i want these kids to be and in very in all fairness the baseline of like character and opportunity and 
courage that I want for those kids in crossover, the same things that I want for my kids. And that's how I try and approach it is we want to help produce good people who feel that they have good to share to the world. And it could take many different pathways. Right. But at the end, um, you know, is that a good person? Is that someone that we're excited to be around? Is that someone we're proud to be around? And so I have this concept and theory that I kind of put together through my background in education and in coaching, which was, we all make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. Yeah. So I lean into the power of aggressive mistakes. Yeah. That's what I've termed it. We want to always make aggressive mistakes. I would tell this to my students too. And it was a, it's a much cooler way of saying like, I need to, sh- you need to show your work. Right. Um, <laughs> because nobody likes hearing that. Like, I heard that a bunch of the kid. I didn't understand it. Yeah. But if I say, I need you to make aggressive mistakes, it means I need you to try. And from that trying, we'll be able to see what worked and what didn't work. Right. Because you can either make a mistake from effort or you can make a mistake from non-effort where we just sit back and we're like, I'm not going to do anything, which in and of itself turns into an error. Uh, if you leave something blank on a test, it's now a zero, Yeah. you know, versus did you at least show me what you knew? Show me a starting point. Try something, right? So I have that same, I, I took that from the classroom to on the court to crossover and how we were always like, hey, you need to try. And it doesn't always work and it's okay. Yeah. But, you know, we we learn from our wins and we learn in our losses um, because that's who you want to be, this growing person that's learning. And then now I get to do it as a parent where I'm like, like, how are you doing in school? Are you, is the effort there? Are you trying? Yeah. Because I expect you to make mistakes. And that's not me not believing in you. It's me knowing that we all make mistakes. And from that, I try and model errors myself. I'm, I try and be like, say. that was on me. That's a dad mistake. Yeah. Like <laughs> dad put you in the wrong spot there. I had the wrong, and I say it out loud often so that it becomes very normalized. I, I love that. There's a fear of those buffers, right? That like, hey, if I share the mistakes, if I'm an aggressive mistake maker, or if I'm too transparent about things that I'm, I'm being more vulnerable and I won't get that opportunity. And, and I think that I love the whole notion of that sort of aggressive mistake making behavior and that licensure to say, hey, look, show your work. And I'm imagining that, that for you, it's made you a better parent, a better leader. And that I'm curious if you're also just actively constantly learning from the people that you're around all the time. A thousand percent. I right? feel, you know, I know it sounds so cliche. I know yeah. it's cliche when you're like, dude, I'm learning more from others than I am espousing. Uh, but it, but it's true. I'm trying to constantly be a sponge. And I think it's one of the best things Indian American culture typically has, which is to be a learner. Yeah. To learn constantly. I read constantly. I'm trying to listen to new ideas because there just has to be more ideas out there. And I refuse to think that I've hit some pinnacle of knowledge of, of course of how to do this. And then to, to keep building to, to knowing those people. And I, I'm very, I try and stay very humble in asking people for, to learn from them. Yeah. Like, hey, how did you do this? How does right. that work? Can you share with me? And it, it, it's been really neat to, to constantly learn that an example, which, Seems funny now, but uh, when Snapchat first came out, yeah, it was this fascinating thing. Everybody's very just like people are with TikTok now, right? Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this thing's a waste of time, right? All that. Yeah. We're over in India, 
And a lesson we had learned already was knowing kids' names is so important. Yeah. And so we break our volunteers into small groups. They get like 20, 25 kids each. I was like, you got to know their names as soon as possible. Like, this is what I really need from you. Yeah. Everything else goes out the window if you don't know their name. Just get their names. So <laughs> these kids are going around with their phone and I'm like, so we're on the bus later on this, like, which is just hysterical, by the way, traveling in a giant bus in India with like 15, 20 people and navigating traffic. If that itself like, is a life lesson. <laughs> That's a life lesson. We have great yeah. stories about that too. But yeah. I'm watching these kids washing their phone. So I'm like walking around. And what they've done is they've used the Snapchat feature of creating stories. Yeah. They recorded each kid child saying their name. They've typed the name phonetically into the quote bar. And then they've created a looped video. They're studying themselves in their drafts. Yeah. Wow, Genius. Like, this is really cool. Like, yeah. I would never have thought of using the tech this way. I mean, Snapchat has never thought of using the tech this way. Right. But they, these kids were like, you said this was important. So, but I didn't say how to do it. Yeah. And they went and problem solved it. And they, by day two, they knew every kid's name. And I was like, yeah, this is remarkable. So when yeah. I... When those moments happen, I'm like, I have to learn. I have to to figure out how this works. Well, it's additive, right? Each each story, each you know, new solution, each problem solving venture brings on sort of like a new lesson, right? And and right. for you, I, I'm curious because it's been over 12 years now since crossover started. And yep. and I'm wondering in reflecting on that work that you've done and what you and your team have accomplished. If with growth and success and all these lessons that become additive, has the mission at all been modified or is it still foundational? Is it still the same as it was when, when you first started it? Um, have there been any surprises at all that have kind of, you know, yeah. either shape-shifted it a little bit? Or for that matter, is it really no different than when you first imagined it? No, I think it's taken it's, taken its own path. And I think yeah. enjoying the journey is important on this. My initial concept really was, okay, we, we got this great idea. It makes sense. Right. All I got to do is find a hundred uncles and aunties to give me a thousand bucks or a thousand uncles and aunties to give me a hundred bucks. Right. And this should be like fully funded and off to the races. Done. Worst premonition I may have ever had in my <laughs> life was that concept. <laughs> and we may have been, and I, I'm fully convinced now, we were so early of an idea to this that people like you and I weren't yet old enough to be the uncles and aunties, right? And so the uncles and aunties at the time were like, beta, that's really nice. Tell us when you can make money. Exactly. Right? They're like, you're out of your mind. Yeah. No basketball in India, right? And another thing that I really learned from Crossover, side note here, is a lot of our parents' generation are time frozen. Like they yeah. believe India still exists the moment they left and that nothing has evolved, right? Like, so to them, basketball in India, 70s, 60s, what? That doesn't exist. Yeah, it can't you compute. must be crazy, right? No kid will play this. I'm like, okay. Including my parents, honestly, thought I was a little off my rocket, right? Sure. They're like, Sean, we love that you want to know about India. This isn't it. <laughs> right. like, You're not on target here. <laughs> like, like, why don't you go do what other people do, which is go help the blind, go help p kids who are struggling, you know, kids who are missing limbs. That's where we, we make donations, not to, not to regular, Basketball. quote unquote, regular poor kids. Yeah. Like 
the poor population just exists. You should just accept it. Yeah. It's these, you know, and I was like, ah, okay. And, and so the evolution of it was like, oh, okay. At first I really had to breach, reach far outside of the Indian American community. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know, people are like, oh, this makes total sense. Like sports, kids, huh. you're introducing a new sport. Yeah. And the reason we were introducing a new sport to India in our mind was it's one of the few spots in India where it's a level playing field for girls and boys. Because people are always like, why don't you do cricket? Why don't you do soccer? And I and those are great sports. However, boys get to play that from like when they can walk. Yeah. And girls are held out of it. This sport, when we come there, it's always brand new in so many ways. And again, my optimist personality is I don't believe our brown kids are inherently, our brown boys are inherently misogynistic. I yeah. think it's a learned thing. Yeah. And I think they haven't fully captured it when they're 8, 9, 10, 11. They're still, they, they've heard of it. Sure. They're taking in the signals, but it isn't part of their ethos yet. It's not who they are. So when we introduced the sport after a week, they're like, oh, wow, look at Chandani. She can really dribble and Priya can shoot. And like their mind is wandering. And as kids, they just want to be around other kids who are good at things. Yeah. Like kids yeah. love to be around other kids who are good at something. Yeah. And to feel like they're part of that cool kid crap. Like they want to be. So all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if it's a girl or a boy. And then I'm able to really dig into lessons on, hey, do you see how good she is when she was given an opportunity? Right. Like, right. what if your ama was given that? What if your sister was given that? Your amachi was given that, right? And you can see the wheels and the boys starting to turn. And I'm like, we can't fix it today, but we can fix it if you guys believe in it. Yeah. And we just keep building on it, right? So our mission has always been hey, we want to produce 20,000 middle-class families instead of one $20 million contract. Right. It's, we believe in it. And we're starting to see that happen where kids are in university now. And we're like, okay, there's generational shift coming. Like yep. it's going, first we got them, we were making sure to go to high school. Now we have kids starting to go to, they're finishing high school, then go to university. Now we have a, a North Star kid from the pilot program, Xavier, who I love to death. Xavier earned a scholarship to attend Babson College in Boston to do a master's of finance. And he's in his second year there, right? Awesome. That unfortunately came from some domestic violence. Mom left him and his sister. It was just his mom, him, sister. Met Xavier. Broke his heart when I first met him because he genuinely, he actually loved basketball. Yeah. And I had to explain to him he would never play in the NBA. Right. That he just was five foot six and this was not going to happen. Sure. And, but... Basketball and learning this can take you whole new places. And we've stayed in touch throughout. And to watch that evolution, you're like, this is, it, it works. It, it works. Just, yeah. And and so, if, if there's something that always sticks out for me about that kind of mantra, Coach Wooden talked a lot about character, right? And, and a lot about courage and how that matters. What have you learned about character and courage? I mean, this example is probably first and foremost what you just talked about, but what have you learned about character and courage from some of the kids that you've worked with in India? That, that's a great question. And A, I, I was just chuckling because right over my finger here is Coach Wooden's book, <laughs> you know, and I may have shared this with you earlier, but my high school coach played for John Wooden at UCLA. Yeah. So he yeah. has three rings and I got to learn from him. So when you say things are in your DNA, sometimes 
I am one of a rare few in my generation. It can be like, oh, I'm part of the wooden coaching tree. Like this yeah. is cool that it was spent down. But your question hits on something so important, which is people seem to have a stereotype that people who live in the slums, people who are poor, are not smart. They want to be there. This is the life they're choosing. Yeah. And yet they have so much more courage and industriousness and enthusiasm for life than we can imagine an intentness of how they approach things. Because as I've done this work and I've had this really cool opportunity where these families have invited us to their houses, to their neighborhoods. Yeah. And I swear, given the opportunity, we would have just as many amazing, ingenious outcomes if these children had the same opportunities as our children, yeah. right? Because the creativity of which they live their life and how they've navigated limited resources, limited opportunities, limited situations to still live a life, to have a family, to put food on the table is mind-blowing. I, I, yeah. I speak to it often. I say it about, about my dad, but I also say much more about these people, which is man, I, they're way tougher than me. Yeah. They're way stronger yeah. than me. I, I am not, I could not, I don't think I, I have that in me. And I wish I did because there's a, there's so much skill that lives there and there's so much spirit. But again, that intentness of like, we are going to do this. There's a beauty in the hope. And, and I couldn't mm -hmm. have named Crossover Steam better of Hoops Creating Hope because yeah. the hope exists. They, they're just looking for someone to spark it yeah. and say, your hope isn't without value. I share it all the time. Like our kids are not pros. They're yeah. not going to be high school players like in America, but, but they love it. And it yeah. gives them an outlet to be creative, to be problem solvers, to be leaders at a younger age. They don't have to just listen and be lectured at, but they get to have their voice heard. And we get to share about how, what does equality look like? What does leadership look like? How do you communicate? And we can learn it in play. And then they're like, they're ready to run with it. They're like, yeah. oh, when I went to university, I can do this now. When I went to high school, they were like, oh, you solved this problem. And you're like, yeah, because you were always that smart. You were always that creative. We just had to let you believe in, in, in yourself that creative is okay and, and new solutions are okay. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Sean J. Chandran. Stay tuned. Conversation. It's the antidote to apathy and the catalyst for relationships. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with global Indians and South Asians, so everyone can say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. New episodes weekly, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, I'm Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing with Abhay Dandekar. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with the founder of Crossover Basketball, Sean Jayachandran. Well, and, and I'm, I'm curious about that part, which is athletics and games can seemingly be a very critical and almost common language that like it automatically bridges um, backgrounds. And, you know, once you're, once you're actually playing and you have that spirit, like you said, whether it's gender, whether it's class, whether it's economic um, realities that you face. Uh, almost sort of a joyful and a very spirited sort of social equalizer. 
I know that you personally didn't always perhaps feel that spirit of belonging and community in some of the places that, that, that you've been growing up. How much has that contrast in some ways been sort of a personal motivator for you? Just seeing kind of like how that social equalizer, how that athletic equalizer can in fact be such an incredible accelerator. Really, it really is, and and you're right. Uh, there are times where I didn't feel included. I think we all have had those. Sure. My dad, in a rare moment of brown men in the '80s, my dad actually started coach my soccer team because he wanted to be a little bit more involved, and he saw I was a pretty talented athlete. Yeah. And he did that, and we were highly successful. But again, he was very shy about his English and sure. and how to communicate. However, then when I went to try out for a club team at a higher level. I was not selected. And in asking the coach why, he pointed to the rest of the team and said, I want you to look at everybody else out there and look at yourself and you'll figure it out. And every yeah. other kid out there was, was, was a white Canadian kid. And I was right. like, okay. And it was one of those moments I think we all feel this, maybe a little too much, but I didn't want to share that with my parents because I didn't want to right. disappoint them. I didn't want them to be like, I wasn't good enough to, to rise above the racism. I wasn't good enough. And, and it shouldn't be any 12, 13-year-old's responsibility to do that. But sure. in my head, I'd already been like, oh, I didn't do it. So it's funny. I looked for a sport where I thought I could be. It was inclusive. And basketball was there. And I was like, oh, pretty diverse people who play yeah. basketball. Yeah. Sure. And, and it fit. But I've always tried to foster that sense of, inclusion and inclusiveness through the sport i think it uh, it does bridge barriers and gaps in a way that you can't yeah. because you're you're together and if people are coming with a sense of love of the game mm. then it's one of those times where they don't and i I'm, I'm very opposed typically to the term colorblind but you do become kind of colorblind on your team because it's yeah. like hey i know jimmy can shoot and i know prakash can dive to the rim and i know this guy and you're knowing skills about them that yeah. transcend quickly who they are, right? Yep. And which is what we actually want at, at times, right? I want to be known for my skill set. Yeah. And so sport does that. And, and in my coaching, I've always done that. And in my teaching, I've done that. I always try and ask kids, you know, tell me what you see. Yeah. Tell me what you're experiencing. And I remember the first time I said it, even to players, tell me what you see on the court. And they're like, what, what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah. you're out there. Share yeah. with me. And then we can come up with a solution. We can game plan from it together during the timeout. I love that. And so that approach has been really important to me to be, to foster a sense of belonging and belonging is so important. With, with that, you know, that idea of belonging, um, so much of youth culture and at least, at least the perception, because it's not always a reality. I don't want to be unfair about that, but so much of the perception is really that you know, we live in this sort of TikTok era globally where everything's a highlight reel, everything gets posterized, everything goes viral, right? And and so for for youth who are are trying to capitalize on not only their skills, but learn from the skills of others, but then again, aggressively make mistakes. As an educator, as an athlete, as a coach, how do you teach kids to in fact deal with those mistakes? And for that matter, in some ways understand that the world doesn't exist in that sort of highlight reel or posterizing moment. That's a great, great point. I think a lot of it is a lot of our kids do get caught in that. 
and it's easy to, right? Uh, we see adults get caught in the Instagram, here's picture perfect world, right? picture perfect families. But I think a lot of it is, is allowing us time to, to breathe, to be honest. And by that, I mean, how are we as parents or the coach putting our kids an opportunity to, to have a different experience? It's so easy to tell them. It's so much different to show them. Uh, I've been very fortunate when we lived in Boston. Great relationship with Harvard's basketball staff, men's and women's. Coach yeah. Amaker and Coach Kathy are awesome, and they were wonderful people. But what it allowed me is, um, I have this very precocious daughter who's very smart. Um, and when she was three, she would go to games with me from when she was born. And we were at a Harvard game, and she said, you know, Dad, you said girls can do anything. Yes. I, absolutely. I believe it. Yeah. Awesome. Why don't we go to any girls games? Right. Like, oh, I'm a really bad dad. <laughs> like, I remember in my mind just being like, I'm a really bad dad. You're not, like, you're not you, quite living, living the example, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a really good. So I called up Kathy and I was like, coach, can I have some tickets to the women's game? She's like, yeah. you know, we don't sell out. Right. And I was like, <laughs> okay, but I, I don't know. Like, this is how much I don't know. Like, I'm yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah. So she's like, whenever you want, there'll be tickets sitting at the window. So yeah. drive my daughter, go to games. And her witnessing college girls, young women, the effort they had to put in. She's watching them practice. Dad, you say these girls practice really hard, but they look so good. I said, they do. Can I see a practice? Okay, I yeah. guess she was four, four and a half. Call up the coaches. Can I bring my four and a half year old to your college practice? They're like, are you are you serious? I'm like, yeah. Like she said, she wants it. Like I promise. You know me. I'm gonna keep her off to the side. She just wants to watch. Yeah. She thinks she needs. She want to know how hard you worked. Yeah. Okay. And we went to a practice, and she saw these girls who were who were fantastic in her eyes, and they're being called out. They're being pushed. They're being guided. And then she has these girls who want to talk to her and be role models to her. And yeah. And they take her in the locker room without me. And they're like, hey, come yeah. see what it and it feeds off of itself. Then. And it, so in her mind, and you know, you can call it kid hacking, you can call it good parenting, you can call it all sorts of ways. You know, she she totally believes in her heart that there's a journey and yeah. that it's never about this one moment, like I work hard, I get better. I work hard, I get better. We watched this Kobe Bryant interview and it was fascinating where he was sharing about how when he was 10, he scored zero points. But he said he did the math in his head. And if I do an hour or two hours of work a day on something I love, instead of just the one, the one practice a week, right? Yeah. If I just do something every day for like an hour, that's 365 hours in a year. That's gonna be almost 800 hours in two years. And he goes, right. and by the time three years later, I was a top player in the state. Yeah. But I put I put in a, a thousand more hours yeah. than other kids. Like yeah. he's like, I just did the math. Yeah. And he's like, and and her hearing that, she was like, Oh, I can do that. Right. Like, and I can so this past summer, she would go out and shoot 250 shots every morning and she'd record them. Yeah. Dad, can you put this in a spreadsheet for me? Which is hysterical. <laughs> and I'm watching from my window and she's going through it and and all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, my, you put Maya, you put in a th 1,250 shots this week. 
Yeah. You put in another 1,500 shots, right? Like, it's just compounding, right? Wow, you put in 10,000 shots. Like, what just happened? Right. Like, I don't think we ever liked being lectured, and I think we yeah. forget that sometimes. Like, it's yeah. so easy to say it because we've lived these experiences. And we always say, oh, I wish you had it. Well, but the way we, we share it is by putting them in front of other people doing it and mm. showing other people on the journey. And and we all know different people in different places of, hey, can you come right. Can we watch this? And and you're showcasing that aggressive mistake making. Yep. It's okay. Like nobody's yeah. going to have it. And there's a Yo-Yo Ma quote where somebody asked him like, why do you keep practicing? And he shared, oh, I think I'm getting better. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's an opportunity to get better. It's not, it's right. not an end point, right? There's never a finite space. And yeah. I, I want to link this to your, your own parents. I mean, your parents are, are, kind of the ultimate models of resilience and being able to problem solve your way through life. And I, I'm, I'm very curious about one part of that. And that is how did their narrative of individuality and survival and resilience and fortitude and perseverance, how did that all make you particularly a better teammate? My parents are kind of a Disney story. I, I say it all the time to people like I get all these nice kudos and accolades. My parents are the Disney story yeah. and they should be the Disney story. My mom was born into an orphanage in India. We already know the stats on orphan girls right now in India. It's like a zero chance of success. My mom yeah. earns a scholarship to high school, earns a scholarship to university. Mind boggling. Just right. But again, all perseverance, believing, grinding, and her stories massively impact what I do at Crossover because her journey is so hard. She had a story where she'd, and I didn't understand it as a kid. Um, she talked about stealing candles from the church mm. so that she could study at night because the lights had to be off. But she knew that her way out was to study. Um, my dad went to be a mechanic in Chennai and had to live at, when he was an apprentice, he lived in the back of cars he repaired for two years like didn't have a house right like and when i asked them about them they're like what do you mean like that's just what we did like there's no it's kind of it's humbling to hear them not even acknowledge how hard that is right and for a long time they didn't want us to tell other people that right like in indian culture oh we don't talk about those things right. people will look down on, what will they think of our family yeah and i'm like i remember the first time i shared it to like a friend of mine and they were like Who's not Indian? They're like, are, I'm sorry. Did you just say your parents did what? Yeah. Like your parents are like hero, and you're like, yeah. Oh, we're not supposed to talk about that. Like, right? Like in right. our culture, that's a bad thing. And your what you guys are saying is this is the ultimate success. Yeah. How so, can you, how, they're, they're baffled how how this can't be shared. Right. To I bring all that because my dad was a big believer in in leadership and without knowing it, like this Jesuit model of. Um, you lead from the front. And what that means is like, instead of servant leadership, which is I'm bowing and I'm helping you, it's we all work together and we all move it forward. Um, mm. And so I was already named captain of teams by the time of like nine and 10 people would vote me captain. So I was very lucky. And this is when my dad was coaching. And I remember like kid named Matthew would be messing around. And my dad would be like, great, Sean, go grab Matthew. You two are going to run like three laps. And I'm like, yeah, what did I do? Yeah. Like I... Dad, I'm here. 
I'm the best kid on the team and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Why am I being punished? And he's like, well, they said you're the captain, correct? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you want people to believe in you? Yeah. He's like, then why is your teammate messing around? That's on you. Yeah. He's like, I'm not, I'm here to coach. I'm not here to yell at kids. Yeah. That's on you. You have to lead. And I remember like, you know, you do that once or twice and guess what? I don't want to run. Hey Matt, we get over here, man. You got to be with me. We've got to be on the same page. And yeah. that started that leadership journey of like, Hey, we have to be here. Yeah. Like people grownups want to play all sorts of mind tricks on it. It's yeah. there's no mind trick to learning leadership. It's, Hey, we're in this the old JFK line of like a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. Now we may not all be in the same boat. We may not even have a boat, but that tide is going to lift us to better places. And you have to get the people on in the same space. And I just remember that so vividly from my dad being like, he was so clear on things like that. That was like you, if you're the leader, nobody's going to listen to you if you're not leading when things are tough. Right. Right. If you just want to be like, look at me, I scored all the goals. That's just look at you mentality. He's like, yeah. no, no, no. Cause we had another situation where I got hurt in a game. Yes. Um, but my dad comes on the field and he's like, you okay. And I'm, I, I'm trying to gain sympathy from him. Yeah. And I'm like, and it happened to be a boy who wore a turban. Yeah. And I was like, dad, the Indian kid hit me and I'm laying on the field, mind you. And my dad stops and I'll, memories that you core memories, right? My dad yeah. stops, does not help me anymore. Yeah. Looks at me, goes, what Indian kid? Right. Dad, the Indian kid. He goes, are you an Indian kid? I'm like, no, I'm Canadian. Like I'm dad. What are you talking? He goes, all I see are a bunch of Canadian kids out here. Mm. What are you talking about? I said, right. Dad, the kid with it. And he's like, what number? Yeah. Don't, I don't want to hear you talk about, especially our own people that way. Yeah. Like you don't need, and it was one of the moments again, stopping when you talk about belonging and leadership. I just remember being like, I'm laying on the ground hurt and you're not going to miss a beat on making sure that the right thing is the right thing. And only after we had the conversation, then he picks me up, carries me off. And I'm like, yeah. what? I don't even remember being hurt anymore. Like I'm just still right. processing this like, oh, what, was <laughs> I, what just happened? Like I have to be better. Like I have to be a better person. But, but uh, amazing that in that moment, in that moment, that's where the lesson was had. And it stuck with me, right? That it's never too big of a moment yeah. to stop and say what is really right. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Sean J. Chandran. Stay tuned. Every story told is a lesson learned, and every lesson learned is a story waiting to be told. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with global Indians and South Asians so everyone can say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. New episodes weekly, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, this is Madhuri Dixit, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing with Abhay Dandekar. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with the founder of Crossover Basketball, Sean Jayachandran. Let me ask you this. With, with that idea of, of equalizing, of how much that meant, how much that lesson stuck with you, Crossover's impact on kids and kids as they become adults and then their peers as it becomes sort of additive, it's clear. And, and it's obviously impactful 
from what we know. But what do you think has been some of the takeaways, particularly for the parents and the educators who may have an indirect, a sideline view, so to speak? How so far do you think their experience has been in synthesizing this? It's it's an interesting journey because at first, everybody's like, what are you talking about? Right. right? Like, where are you coming from? Yeah. Secondly is a lot of them assume as an American, as someone away from them, that I can't relate to those kids, that I don't right. have any connection. There's no thread. Right. Yeah. You must be rich. You must have funds. You've lived with a silver spoon, which is fine. I, I will accept all of those stereotypes because yeah. cool. I didn't have those stereotypes growing up. So that's the first part. So I remember one of the times we were working with my mom's alma mater. Yeah. And I'm speaking to the girls and I'm like, So my mom went to school here. And they're like, No, you're not one of us. Like mm-hmm. it was the hardest. And I'm like, what does that mean? One of us, right? Yeah. And So also I'm like, wait, I'm excluded even a place I'm supposed to be. Like, how did this not? And my line is, I had to get these four foot eight nuns to give me street cred as a six, four man in India, right? Like they had to give me the street cred to be like, no, no, no. His mom went to school here. Right. Right. And my conversation, and they're like, wait, how, how are you from one of us? Right. I'm like, this is a great conversation because us means all of us. And our culture, unfortunately, fits, tries to fit people into boxes and silos, right? Yeah. And so when we have these conversations of like, you're just like another kid. Yeah. You know, you're going to have those options. You're going to have those opportunities. It may not be right away, but we're playing the long game here, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I, and when I go to parents and I'm like, hey, look, if when your child is 40, 45 years old, if they are now living a middle class, they have two cars, they have this. Yeah. Are you going to be happy? And they're like, their eyes bulge, right? Like that's an impossible dream. Sure. What do you mean? Of course, there's a journey. Yeah. Like, I don't think my parents' life is particularly easy at every turn. Yeah. But the evolution of it has led to here, right? And that if I said, hey, your kids could go to any university in the world and can do this and oh my gosh, right? So you're like, okay, so now it's like a 60-year plan. Like is yeah. that journey something you are you can see and they're like, like, because if you can't, I'm standing right here. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally the end point of this, of of like that part of the story. Like it's kind of wild. And so once those adults kind of understand that there is, there's an existing model, like per se, that there's, that this journey has already been traveled, that people want to travel the journey and then say, Hey, we have to bring more of you along the way. It changes everything because the kids see it. So one of our big programmatic changes, shifts early, was we started making the teachers bring classrooms instead of individual kids. So we'd mm. be like, hey, Sunil, bring your 30 students and you got to be here. Yeah. Like, your kids can't do it if you're not here. Because I want you to learn how I teach. And I want you to learn that teaching can be fun. And I want the kids to see you also in the struggle, right? Yeah. That you can't do this stuff because they've right. never seen that teachers in our culture are very perfect. Yeah. You don't question them. Correct. Right? And all of a sudden their teacher is very imperfect. But the teachers get, they have a blast because they yeah. get to be a kid. And the kids are having a blast. And all of a sudden, the reports we always we get back because we keep surveying them is 
empathy through the roof. These kids are all looking out for each other now. Yeah. They don't believe it's a competition. Right. They don't believe in the colonial era leftover lingo of like there's one slice of pie and, you know, two million Indians have to fight over the one job. Uh-uh. Right. There's right. plenty of it. Let's go get make more jobs. The kids are understanding it. Violence has gone down in the classrooms. Bullying has gone down. There's no, they're all seeing themselves as a team instead of individuals in a classroom. And when we hear it, you're just like, wow, this is working. Yeah. They're bonding. They're being responsible for each other. They want each other to do well. They see the journey and they're like, if we all shift the needle, yeah. look at the collective wave that's coming. And the and, kids enjoy it and the adults start to come around. It takes them a right. little bit. Yeah. Uh, we have this great volunteer named, named Utkarsh Ambudkar. And yeah. Utkarsh is now, Utkarsh, shout out to you, famous uh, leading man on Ghosts and on the TV series. It's in Pitch Perfect, yeah. Barbershop, love Utkarsh. Utkarsh, I remember telling him I thought he was making a big career mistake. He was leaving filming Barbershop at the end of it to fly and help us at Crossover. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know you well, but this seems like you're going backwards because you're hanging out with like Ice Cube and common to come hang out with me and right. i am not common or ice cube and but he did and, i know man don't sell yourself short there so <laughs> i i got the six foot four i've got the shaved head but not quite the rest of it always but it was funny the adults all knew who karsh was yeah oh my gosh the guy from pitch per they're like yeah. funny the kids in india have zero clue who this man is right he's not in any bollywood movies he's not Shah yeah. khan yeah. I don't know why you got to make it hyping up this super sure this dude, right? But Ukarsh again, out there doing the work that the adults are being convinced by this famous actor. Yeah. The kids, he's just passionately about playing ball and hooping and being with yeah. the kids. And I was like, hey, we need to teach a lesson on communication. He's like, can I do my own thing? Yeah. And he taught the kids how to beatbox as a way to communicate. <laughs> So it's funny the two different journeys that the adults are on versus the kids because the kids, the kids are kids. Uh, they want to believe, right? They want to, they want to believe there's something that they're going towards. And all of a sudden, when you're like, "Yeah, there is," they're all in. Well, and I imagine that all of these are accelerators of trust, right? At, at some point, it's all about people developing and cultivating trust to in in fact say that like hey look i can i can now trust the process i can now trust the journey and i'm and i'm willing to in fact not only have my child join but i want to join and and be on that sideline or or actually be active and and participate even more so one final thought on on that piece is you know trust at some point there is a a barrier that breaks that says hey i'm i'm now i'm here I'm present. I'm engaged. I, I want to trust more in the process, in the journey. I think about those those pillars of leadership and character and teamwork and communication and gender equity, all the things that are folded into crossover. And, and generally, you know, who wouldn't be all in on all of these things, right? But in the reality of 2022, 2023, and, and beyond, what are some of those barriers? Is it simply that, like, hey, they're just... It, you just need to pour more money on it and it grows or is it engagement? Is it belief? Is it, you know, what are sort of the, the areas that, you know, in a nutshell are, are going to make this work scale and, and spread even more so than it already successfully has. That's, that's 
fantastic. You would hope that everybody's in on it. And I, yeah. I, we, we really go on those pillars. Um, the kids love them. What's important about it and wh- where the next piece is, is uh, you, you struck gold. Like it's, it's finding a way to, to pour the funding into it because yeah. it's one of these philanthropy is a really tricky space is what I've learned, right? Like there's people who they want to feel committed. They want to feel involved, but they want to put in something that also gives them some social status and symbolism. And so like you pour it back into um, charities that are much bigger. Like it's, you know, it's funny when a charity has a $10 million budget and people are like, Oh, I wrote them another $2 million check. And I'm like, we're, we're, we're surviving on like 40,000 a year. Like yeah. if that, like, can somebody give us, cut us a check for 200 K and I, I can show you what we can blow this thing out into. We have the yeah. plans. We've, we know it works. We've shown it works and it's just piecing that together and, and finding the right combination of people. Right. Um, we yeah. had this great opportunity this past year, uh, where real page is a company out of Texas. They're a tech company. They have offices in Hyderabad. Yeah. So real page was like, cool. Can you bring this program in? We're going to partner with the United Way in India in Hyderabad. And they poured money into building a court, into uniforms for the girls. And it was an all girls tribal school. Yeah. And we're going to put money aside for coaching. And can you fly out? And can you teach the teachers, teach the kids to kick off? And that was a process and a product that worked really well. Let us learn that I think this is this is a good model. Yeah. Like if we can partner with some corporates to say, three-year plan, partner with a local NGO and us. We provide all the infrastructure. These yeah. types of Zoom conversations are now normal, where in the yeah. past, it was much more difficult. And so we couldn't train the trainers like this as well. I couldn't yeah. have conversations with our coaches, even if we were to hire coaches, because how would I communicate? I can't do it over WhatsApp. It's difficult. Right. But now when I can do weekly sessions and I can have whiteboards and I can chalk up stuff and I can send them documents, that tech gap has bridged so fast in the two years. Sure. And now we have an opening of like, we can do this because a very complimentary, flattering thing. One of my friends, Ace Bhattacharya says he's on our board is, I don't know how to replicate Sean's. Like, yeah. The problem is I only have one Sean yeah. and I need more of you to run the program. Yeah. And he's like, how do we do this? And now we have a way that we can, you can teach forward. Right. Because again, while we have a lot of US volunteers, it's also a big ask to say, hey, how about if you go live in India for a year? Right. How about if you go right. live in India for two yeah. years, right? You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Sean J. Chandran. Stay tuned. I'm Sheetal Sheth, and I am an actress, author, and producer, and you are listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with the founder of Crossover Basketball, Sean Jayachandran. So, I mean, it sounds like it's a, a scale, there's, there's finance, there's engagement, 
But I imagine that as people, like whether they're the Utgarsh Ambutgars or whether they're the teens or, or even, you know, college players who engage, I, I can only imagine that, you know, when they see the, the process in action and, and when they're actually like there in, in some ways sort of living it, whether briefly or not, that it does become additive, that it does add some fuel to every, everything. And in that way, every little bit counts. A thousand percent. And we, we built it with the volunteers in mind to not be service tourism. Yeah. To be very, very frank, right? Like we know, we've all seen the programs, send your kid to X country, poor country, they're going to build a pathway, right. and then they're going to be on vacation. And we were, from the get-go, that's not who we are. It's not yeah. who we want to do. Like if we're going to do it, I'm going to put my educator hat on. I'm going to teach you about colonialism. I'm going to teach you about post-colonialism, cycles of poverty, what that resulted in India. Like yeah. where where did these cycles begin and how did they perpetuate? And where are we interjecting and how we're trying to just reframe conversation. So our students get this great view, we like to say. And, and for the first few years, it was mostly white and black students who were volunteering with us. And then yeah. starting this tipping point of more brown kids, which created a whole new curriculum yeah. because they, had, they were getting to see India in their own lens. Um, yeah. And for all of these folks, we have, we have this beautiful opportunity where the kids very much, they're so proud of what they're doing. And yeah. I love it that they invite us to their homes. And so they're inviting us into the slums. And that experience of walking through and letting someone else tell their story, not me telling a story, is letting these children, letting their families tell stories, people inviting us in their homes. And you're like, this is, this is life. This, is, this yeah. is who we are helping. And this is, you can see their excitement and you can see how proud they are to share who they are back. And that is what something that, is so important that dignity and that pride piece of like, how do we engage that and to be like, wow, this is cool. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for letting me be part of your story. And I want to see where your story keeps growing. Like, yeah. how do we keep building these next evolution? And India is at such a, I think a lot of developing countries at such an inflection point where technology is advancing faster than their ability to help people. Sure. Right. So we have students, mobile phones are everywhere. Smartphones are everywhere in India. They may not be an iPhone yeah. because you can get a smartphone for like 20 US dollars, Yeah. but it can still run Instagram. So they're right. seeing the world now in a very different way because they're seeing what we spoke about. They're seeing the ideal world, the dream world. The highlight reel. The highlight reel. And it's disheartening for them to say, wow, look at these people living these rich lives. Look at my life. Right. Yeah. And when they engage with us, they're like, oh, there's some real to this. And then when they can communicate, I, it's the first time I started getting Instagram messages from these kids. You're like, oh, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Like, hold on. <laughs> Again, put my learning hat on. This is yeah. a neat way to engage. And Okay. How's mom and dad doing? Right. Where are you at? And now I have another touch point with them and they feel connected. It takes me 20 seconds to send them that message of like, how's it going? Are you feeling connected? How's yeah. school? Yeah. What, what are you, what's your next barriers? Yeah. Right? We had a girl who, she's so nice, talking to me, talking to me. And then I said, How, how's mom doing? I know mom, she works hard for you. Oh, Amma during COVID lost her job. Yeah. She, the, the family that was paying her told her to go home. She got sick with COVID. So they said no more. And they, they fired her as their servant. Mm. Like, oh, okay. How much, like, how much money was she bringing? She's like, and I'm about to take my college entrance exams. I'm like, yeah. hey, you got to take that. 
Yeah. Like, do not go get a job. We'll figure this out. How much does mom make a year, a month? She's like, oh, I don't know. I said, can you ask Ahmad, tell her, tell me. 80 US dollars a month. Right. Right. And I was like, so you need like converted to rubies this much for a year. Yeah. Just about a thousand US dollars. They're like, yeah, done. We'll take it. Yeah. And speaking of barriers, she's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. Like this is a thousand dollars means your daughter goes to school. Yeah. And gives you time to figure out your next move and get a new job without freaking yeah. out. Done. Like I, this sounds like a general life changing generational for a thousand bucks done. It took us three different times to send the money mm. because the bank refused to accept money to someone that poor. Yeah. Can't be real. Why are you, why are you sending the money? I'm like, can't I just send money? Like, <laughs> so it sounds like at least from a barrier standpoint that it's just sort of like people are, are flabbergasted by the notions of, Hey, there's basketball. Hey, there's equalizing equity and, you know, finance. Is that really it? Just sort of for people to say like, no, no, this is real. It's really happening. And it, it, there's outcomes that are positive. Right. We had some basketball coaches in India who were like, oh, he must be making money. Right. Uh, I remember people would approach my father. My dad came to start volunteering after a few years. Yeah. Because uh, he was like, this can't be real. Like, let yeah. me see what you're doing. I said, sure. I would love my dad to come with me right. to India. Like, cool. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of funny because I'm like, oh, look, I know stuff that you don't know. <laughs> right. Like one of the few times in life I got to say that. Yeah, but, yeah. Right. Um, but people go to my dad because it was funny. He's been gone 40, 50 years and he's still yeah. considered a good old boy there. Yeah. Like he's one of the homies and I'm still the foreigner. And I'm like, that's right. literally my dad. Like how? But they would go to him and had ask point blank, how much, how much is your son making? How much is he making? My dad's like nothing. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. why is he doing this? And he's like, really wants to, he likes it. Yeah. He, he sees good. Like, and yeah. people, when you've encountered those barriers your whole life and when everyone else seems like a barrier, yeah, it is a weird thing. And I understand it. I don't take it personally of like, sure. Hey, we're just trying to put some good here. And I yeah. think there's a belief that like we can do good and we can add we can be a value add to people and it's through play. Like I can't think of much, anything more fun than going and playing basketball with kids and teaching them this beautiful game and sharing. And, but it is this concept of like the wealthy have a certain, have attained a certain amount in India. And they're like, why would you share that with others? And I'm like, uh, I remember we were, I was pitching a donor in India and he was very confused the whole thing confused him. And I was like, okay, but I'm sharing it. And he goes, so Sean, if all of these kids start going to school and go to university, what will that do to my kid? Yeah. I had to stop. Right. It's a man who I was literally pitching. It's not a guy on the street. So I'm like, you have an eight car garage. I see you have seven motorcycles to go with the eight cars. You have four servants. And I honestly said in this, probably my hubris and I'll own it because I was not being tactful that day. I was like, look, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. And if your son, if you're worried about your son competing against all of those kids with everything he has, there's so many more bigger problems that are going on in your life that I don't understand. And I apologize for taking up your time. Yeah. He he looked at me baffled. What do you mean? And I said, you have all of this. 
you can pay full boat for your kid to go to any school in the world. You're yeah. worried about the kid whose whose family makes eighty dollars a month. Like you, there has to be. And I was like, I I'm genuinely going to believe there's something bigger at play, and you yeah. have other things to worry about. I'm not even going to. It may sound obnoxious, and it probably is obnoxious, but this conversation isn't ever going to resolve itself. Yeah. We're far, it's too far apart. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think that you know, hopefully, conversations like that are are far and few between. They are um, becoming less and less because I think we have some we have some proof of it. You know, we're able to show that it works. Right before the pandemic, we were very fortunate. The WNBA Players Association endorsed us, and we got yeah. to take over. Elena Beard, uh, who was soon to be in the Basketball Hall of Fame, and Tammy Sutton Brown, a great Canadian superstar, uh, who both were like, we're on board, say when. Yeah. And yeah. we have these great athletes, uh, especially women athletes, who have jumped at the call, and, um, and Black women especially, who have said, if I have a chance to help other girls of color, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yep. And... Again, leadership leading from the front. I can't speak highly enough about Elena and Tammy, yeah, because they they were right there, and yeah. and I'm like, we can keep doing this. Like, there are people who see the value in who these next kids are, and and if I need to couch our message with a superstar, again, uh, I hope it comes across. My ego isn't that big that I'm. I don't need to be known. Like. The crossover can run by itself. It can have other people as the face of it. Awesome. Like, yeah. cool. This would be so much fun if, you know, if a Pepsi or if a Nike comes along and says, here's, we're going to fund you for the next five years. Go build. Yep. I don't, I, I would probably go into hiding and just do that because it would be so much fun. Well, I think all of your experience, your joy, the things that you're doing to fuel this, but more importantly, your genuine passion for making all of us better is uh, is really infectious. Sean, thank you so much for sharing all of this. We really appreciated you having you on and, and we'll try and, and do this again. I'm super excited. This is so much fun. I love the fact that speaking to you sounds like I've known you for 20 years. And thanks for allowing me to share this with your listeners too. I hope we get a few of them to reach out too. And so maybe we get some more crossover folks out of this and volunteers would be amazing. So please everyone visit crossover-india.org to learn more about the program and Sean's work. As for me, I'll keep working on my pick and roll game, my left-handed layup, my follow through, and my hustle. Till next time, I'm Abhay Darnika.